of Escape from Plan A. Uh, it's Teen, and I'm here with the D-Gens. Hello. Mike and Steve, what's going on, guys? What's up, everybody? How's it going? Uh, if you guys don't remember, uh, listeners don't remember, uh, you guys show up anytime we have some sort of financial quandary, some sort of, uh, some sort of inquiry into the nature of finance and the world of money. And I don't know why, but it's the two of you guys have been doing, or used to do, I guess it's on hiatus for the moment, but you guys used to do um, a video series on YouTube called The Exciting New, is it The Exciting New World of Digital Finance? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, how do you guys feel about that? Are you guys ashamed of pushing uh, DeFi and all these uh, scandalous uh I, these I did not, scandalous I, technologies. Uh, well, I, I'm, a Bitcoin, I'm a Bitcoin proponent. We never, uh, yeah. uh, I guess, pushed any sort of DeFi or altcoin or anything like that. Yeah, I, see. I feel like we not ready to confess yet. We're, <laughs> I, I'll confess to be like a Bitcoin maximalist, and I feel like mm. probably half the stuff we talk. I, I mean, it, it has, it's also a function of when we were recording those like YouTube videos, but half the stuff we talked about was how much NASDAQ was down. So, you know, it was, just which a, by the way, after FTX, the I, I became a bit of a Bitcoin believer oh, really? and, uh, it seems like I should have followed my instincts because, well, you see this giant exchange, you know, burn to the ground and the price of Bitcoin remains relatively stable. I'm like, this thing's real. Mm-hmm. It's not just, it's not just wash trades on FTX or whatever that property. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Oh, shit, this thing's real. And then I started yeah, I mean, thinking about how Ukraine's selling all those weapons we're giving them. And I'm like, must be Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of use cases. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure there are some uh, American-made or otherwise NATO weapons changing hands on the black market for Bitcoin. Yeah, and they're uh, not going through no KYC AML process. No, no. You know what I mean? KYC here. They're, no, no. they're going on the Silk Road there's 3 or whatever. Stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, so here's the reason why we're convening, uh, because we had a we've we've had a nice couple days of uh, of of back and forths and shout fests on Discord uh, of a nature of a topic that I'm not even sure what we were talking about, and I said and and I think at some point I figured we'll call this the Dharma of the hamster wheel. It is among many topics one of the more sensitive topics out there. Money, Murney, as Elon Ma puts it, and. <laughs> Uh, you know the various the various approaches to it, but let me okay. Let me, Steve. Let me let me uh, since since you seem to, to be the most confused as the but about what the purpose of this uh, yes. conversation even yeah. is, and I'm not He's saying that I know. Us. Yeah, is this thing that Mike and I I think we were discussing, which is that um, the nature of wages and the nature of like you know salaried work. Or what, uh, Mike, you might refer to as, to as like a W-2 wage cuck. Um, in my experience, is just like one element of what seems to me uh, to be a prepackaged life. A sort of, uh, a sort of life game where uh, you seem to be, we seem to be made to work harder for more wages only to spend more of it in direct proportion to what we earn and thus we you know like peloton work extremely hard to go nowhere yeah the way i would put it is that it's a way of living that kind of supposedly or allegedly minimizes the unknown but that's to me personally that's kind of a red herring right because you don't actually minimize the unknown when you when you travel the the well-beaten path, so to speak. So that that's just how I look at it. Like that's the main differentiator, in my opinion. <clears throat> um, you know, if you if you if you're an entrepreneur or you have run a small business or you make your living some, like if you're an artist or whatever, like you just make your living in some non-traditional way, um, that is pretty scary. Uh, if you're looking at it from the outside, whereas if you go to all the right schools and maybe graduate program 
and you get a corporate job and you, you know, you're on the W2 and you get stock options or whatever like that, you know, once you're in that system, it's very sort of, uh, I don't know if, if, if it's, it's not necessarily planned out for you, but the outcomes are kind of just part they of the narrow. set. Yeah. They're very, they're very narrow. They, they, yeah. I mean, I, I noticed like when I first got my, you know, a law firm job or whatever, and I found myself on the higher end of the, at least from my own personal uh, experience, the higher end of my uh, earning spectrum, that it it almost seemed like your options started to narrow in terms of like what neighborhoods I was going to live in and, you know, what sorts of activities I'd be participating in at that point. Uh, and I, it's, I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain why exactly that happens other it's- than your expectations the expected outcomes uh, of your life start to narrow you kind of as you script, ascend right? the, the wage ladder. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a funnel, right? And it's, it's yeah, not it's like funnel, anyone, yeah. it, it's not like anyone points a gun at you and says you have to do it this way. Right, but you exactly, but you, you just kind of like I think just fall into these kind of patterns where you do the things that are expected of you and that you expect of yourself, so to speak. And yeah, like it just gets. Like it just gets very kind of predictable, I think, in, in my opinion. Natine, did you find that like because it, it feels intuitive, right? But at the same time, do you, do you think it was because of social pressure due to the people that you were around? Because I'm assuming you were in like a law firm, right? As in like a you know in house at a bank or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And like just kind of the people that you're around and the stuff that they're doing, and you're like what twenty five in there, and you're looking at the guy who's like thirty five in there, and they're like, "What's this? What's this guy's life like?" And was it just kind of osmosis that way, or was? Oh it- yeah, yeah, I think so. I remember like I went out to Silicon. I was considering, not not strongly, but I was considering moving out to Silicon Valley, mm. uh, as a lot of people were, you know. Um, and this guy who was like a sort of like senior associate quasi partner kind of guy mm-hmm. uh was sort of like selling me on the idea of going out there and he was just like oh man it's like it's just come out here he was like with the money you're gonna make as a first year and you're single and whatever i mean it's just it's just great like you're just just do it don't don't think too much about it it's just, it's just gonna be a great life and then i also had a, a friend out there who who's uh who moved to san francisco he's from la and, you know, we met up a couple times in, in San Francisco and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, this is what he he had. He had bought a brand new Mercedes and he was like, just get, you know, <laughs> just get the get the, get the car, come out here. Because at that time, San Francisco, this is like 2004, yeah. you know, and, you know, before San Francisco kind of turned into what it is now. And it was a like it was a, you know, people were moving out there for the lifestyle. And the attitude was just like, dude, it's a no brainer. This is what you do. And when you're young and you have these like older, you know, older dudes telling you in a very positive way, like you could do, you can do it. You have all the ingredients to get my life. And I'm telling you right now, someone living my life, this is the life for you. Uh, Without a lot of countervailing instinct or guidance, that's what you're going to do. What else are you going to do? Yeah, and look, to be fair, <clears throat> 2004 Silicon Valley was in full recovery mode. Yeah. And yeah. money was that something money about was like the times, in. right? And I think yeah, like and, whether you were in Silicon bear- Valley or in, in in on Wall Street, it's kind of the same, right? Like that was yeah. you were probably just getting right into like the uh the uh the asset back boom. You I mean you uh, and, and it would have been a really good 16 years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For sure. By and large. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I literally got into the asset back boom by going to work for the, the firm that created asset-backed securities. <laughs> so, uh, and then I, and I knew, I remember because I, I knew by December 07 that shit was going d- down because we went to zero deal volume before the end of the year. Uh, because you got to, you know, you got to sit on those things. You got to sit on, mm-hmm. you, you package the bonds and then you season them, right? Like you got to sit on it. So there's a three month digestion lag between, between mortgages coming in and going out. Uh, but we see those things right away. We yeah, see the yeah. mortgages come in right away. Yeah. So by December 2007, we knew mortgage volume had was gone. And so we just sat there for three months 
And it's like uh, that scene in uh, it's like that scene in Margin Call. They describe this process exactly yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> as you yeah. just yeah. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. The train the movie was it was very like technically accurate. Margin yeah. Call was. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I, I kind of want to go back to something Mike said. Like this idea that it's it's like it's not really reducing risk. Uh, I don't know if that's exact words you want to use. Right. But like on paper, it feels intuitive that it does to just kind of follow right. the script. Right. Cause it, it's almost like the video game analogy is you bought a game, you went to game GameStop. <laughs> yeah. And like you bought like the strategy guide and right. this is what the strategy guide says to do. And I don't, I think it kind of is effective, right. To a certain extent, but like I, I'm kind of I'm genuinely curious. Like, why do you say well, that it well, is that's not great, actually? That's a great analogy because okay, you buy the game, you buy the strategy guide, you follow the strategy guide, yeah, but you can still fall into the fucking pit <laughs> and die. You know, like it, it doesn't actually. It it kind of gives you a guide to what you should do, but it doesn't prevent anything bad from happening. So like if like right now we're looking at massive layoffs in both technology and, and possibly finance. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not that close to that industry. So I don't know, but like, imagine you just bought a new house in 2020 or whatever during the finance boom, right? During yeah. COVID. And now you just have no job and you just got laid off at the same time as like a quarter million other people in your, in your uh, industry. Like, are you going to find another job that pays you 200, 300, 400,000? That like, was the crucible that you found yourself in before you started your own company, right? Yeah, that's More yeah, that's exactly exactly what happened to me. I mean, I, I was a lot younger and I didn't have a mortgage, so it, it was fine. It didn't. So the benefit, I mean, in, in looking in hindsight, I mean, obviously, it was quite the fucking free solo <laughs> summit that you had to, that you had to, yeah. that you had to do, <laughs> yeah. right? But like, yeah. I mean, looking back, it was the lack of um, it was the lack of a path uh, that uh, ultimately sort of stoked a different kind of fire in you it seems yeah and it was somewhat accidental like I, I would have kept going on that like the last two employers i had was microsoft and cbs showtime those were the two companies that i worked for before i got my ass handed to me this is back in 2008 <clears throat> so i would have just kept going on that path big corporate you know entertainment software whatever um my contention yeah. is, and I think we're kind of getting into this, which is a, I think a bit of a red herring in terms of this conversation, which is like the difference between a corporate path and entrepreneurialism. I think that's a, that's a whole big topic that is not really kind of what I'm getting at, but it's more um, like, let's take the corporate path. Cause I think that's by far the more common thing yeah. for people to do. Like what yeah. I'm doing, what Steve's doing. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that there's anything inherently uh there's anything inherently uh constricting about it like in absolute terms but i think it is the it is a byproduct it being this sort of like hamster wheel existence where uh the you know this this weird idea that actually your degrees of your your life gets narrower and more constricting the more money you make and the higher you ascend on this ladder uh which is sort of the opposite outcome of what one expect I'd say that part of it for me, because I don't really feel that way anymore, even though I'm heading right back into the grind uh, next week, actually, back to the law firm, is that we that a lot of us, including myself, we entered that path without any goals. We just went like we just go in. We didn't yeah. it like the path wasn't a means to some end that we had in our head. It was just like, Oh, that's just the path you take. I don't know where it goes. I don't fucking know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think most people when they graduate college, they just want a job. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. I just, I just yeah, want yeah. a job that pays me enough to like live in my city of choice or whatever. So that that's the entryway. And then, you know, if, if, if it turns out that you're conscientious and hardworking and all that stuff, you get sort of slotted into these paths that are basically just going to, you know, put, put you on the money making path, so to speak, both, both for yourself and the company. Yeah. And I think like, so you, uh, basically didn't have, you know, in starting a company, the difference is like, there's no set path. You kind of have to no bush, you have to bushwhack your way through. You have to, um, yeah, well, I mean the, the only, yeah, I mean, you have to set a yeah. goal. I mean, I'm saying like you have to set your own goals. 
Right. You have to decide on what you want to sell into the marketplace and then like do that relentlessly for as long as it takes, basically, until you reach some kind of success. But I mean, yeah. you're, you're kind of like forced in a way you were forced into it, right? Because of the because of the yeah, situation and stuff like that. But I was kind of forced into it, but at the same time, like the very first few things we did as a bootstrapped company was just do consulting. So like I I could have found a job, quote unquote. But it was just wrapped in this new container of, oh, this is a business that I own now instead of just like I I'm going to work for this company and they're just gonna pay me. Like me as an individual. So, so I, I guess like what was the conscious decision at the time, like, or was it a conscious decision at the time to say, I'm not going to go and just look for a W2 job. I'm going to, I'm just going to start my own thing. And just like, um, so the dynamic for us was, it was me and my business partner and we, we were working uh, at the same company. Um, he was technically my boss, but he got fired at the same time or let, or let go at the same time. Um, so like we kind of just were, a, we're at the same exact point in our lives and facing the same exact circumstances, which is very rare. Like you don't, you don't usually have a friend who's literally going through the exact same thing that you are. Right. What's funny is that, that like, that's how I, I'm going, I don't mean to interrupt you because I'm Continue with the story, sure. but that's exactly the situation I found myself in last time I got laid off. Was like, oh, it wasn't really? my boss. Okay. Maybe well, he wasn't it's my not boss. that rare. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't my boss. And the funny thing was, we got let go at the same day, and he has a family, so like he was a lot more intensely worried about the oh, situation, okay. whereas yeah, I was yeah. like relaxed. But like I had an invite to join a, a like a small boutique law firm. Yeah, uh, and they were looking for two people to join as uh, essentially as partners in this, in this boutique. And I, I knew that he was in the same boat as me. And so I said, Hey, I know this guy and he's great. You want to talk to him? He's on the cash side. I'm on the synthetic side. Let's go talk. And then he, we both talked to this firm. It did, it didn't really pan out very well. It wasn't a great fit. And so we didn't do it. But then later he joined like a large law firm and then recruited me into it. So I kind of know what you're talking about. It was like these, we're like just these two dudes. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> out on the street, Man. going like, "Oh, what, what are we gonna do?" We, we put our heads together. We we literally um, were just kicked out onto the street. Now, in, in yeah. my situation, neither of us had a family. We were just single guys, and I think I was what twenty twenty six or twenty seven at the time, something like that. So, you know, like experienced enough to know how the working world works, but not experienced enough where I can just go like, "Oh, I'm <laughs> like, hey, hook me up with a VP position at whatever company." Like through my friend's network or something. So I was, I was a little bit stuck. We were both a little bit stuck. And then, I don't know, we just like kind of came up with the business idea and then, you know, put together a website, formed the LLC and all that stuff. And then, and just went for it. But I, I feel like this, um, like this, this, this talk about family and that, I mean, obviously that's like a huge uh, factor in this. And even like, like your early comment about how going through the entrepreneurial path wasn't necessarily more risk in a way. You could say, especially having gone through it at the time you did in life with without a family, right? So you're you're kind of lighter in a sense, yeah, right. And you're just I mean, I like didn't need a mortgage or anything. yeah, it's just like whatever, man. I just need some some like straight cash flow and 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 just get it done. Um, yeah. But now, you know, a decade plus later, having gone through that and having been successful doing that and exiting that, I feel like you're in a position where you are more able to like, it's almost like you're more flexible. Like you're more able to handle whatever the next thing is. There are more paths in a sense open, right? Because you've already done something where it was kind of just like, okay, this is free form. I don't. Right? Yeah. So I don't, I don't have like the, that fear. Cause I, I mean, when I started, I, I definitely had that fear of like, what, yeah. you know, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen. I I'm, I'm more comfortable being uncomfortable, I guess you could say. And also, um, my business partner uh, that, you know, we exited the business together at the same time also. But by that time, uh, which is what, uh, maybe a year and a few months ago, I mean, he had a family. He had two kids, (laughs) multiple mortgages because he had invested in, (laughs) like, you know, investment properties and a wife. And, like, he was, like, very tied into his community. So he, like, he did not take any time off. I don't think he even took a week off. He was immediately back <clears throat> after we signed the paperwork and after um, 
after our like little retention period, which was very short, which is kind of strange, but it was, it was only like two months as soon as I think he, I think he was looking for a job before he even stopped working entirely at, uh, for the new owner of the business. So right. he, he was, was like, like straight back off. in zero days off. He, I don't even yeah. think he took a vacation. Like, I, I, like, I, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, I haven't been on, on, on enough to know, but like, uh, you guys are, don't have, don't have like kids and stuff. I have, you know, I'm married. I have two kids, whatever, how the house, blah, blah, blah. So like this idea that like, I do feel much more anxious in a sense. Right. So actually, you know, despite like, it sounded kind of like I was challenging your earlier point about, is it actually lower risk, but I get it in a way because having always done what was probably a fairly, uh, I guess, quote unquote, low risk or by the book, sort of strategy to move through things and it worked fine but now i'm you know 15 years into my career or whatever approaching 40 and in a sense uh you know now my my yeah it's i don't want to talk about family this way but it's almost like your cost structure is much higher and fixed and rigid (laughs) right and i'm kind of like okay let's assume that something bad happens and i get laid off or whatever now what and i'm kind of not sure Right, because A, the cost structure is higher, right? And B, I haven't gone through that extreme uncertainty this to the same extent mm-hmm. and pushed through it. Right. So I haven't proven to myself, or maybe I haven't proven to other people that I can actually go from go from go from nothing to something. So in like in a way, I almost think had I done it in reverse and had that sort of uh, sort of crazy high risk come to Jesus moment when I was 23 and unattached or 24 and unattached or whatever. And okay, let's, let's assume that it even didn't work out. It doesn't matter. Cause then I'm like, I'm 27 and I'm at the place where I would have been if I was in like Corpo in 23. So then I'm, you know, a bunch of years later, I'm just like, okay, well, instead of 38 year old me, it's 34 year old me. So what? Right. Like it, it kind of doesn't matter. I think in, in that sense, like the order in which things happen. Yeah. Well, I, I would say that, I would say that if you, um, if, if you find yourself in that sort of bad situation, I think the vast majority of people who are smart enough to like work an actual like sort of high-end corporate job will figure it out. It's like you're not going to just like run out of money. Like that, it's just not going to happen because if you're smart yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if, like if something, will, and, something will, yeah. Yeah, like if, if, if you're, if you're, if you're uh, enough of a high achiever that, you had something to lose to begin with, <laughs> like you'll, you'll figure out a way to get it all back, whether it's, you know, starting a company or finding another job or, or finding another job through starting a company that failed. Like there, there's all sorts of different paths that can unfold. <clears throat> but I think, um, yeah, the, the, the big misconception is just that one is like less or more risky than the other. I think in the end, they're kind of the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. okay, like, yeah. okay. Let let's say let's Wait, say you're a what's lawyer. What's kind of the same thing? You mean going on a on a set corporate path versus entrepreneurship? You're saying? Yeah, I, I think they're very similar in the sense that if you're a smart, hardworking individual, you're going to make either one work. And if you're in a tough spot, you're going to find a way to get back to any kind of like, you know, uh, high end employment. Within I mean, especially if you're a U.S. citizen, I think if you're on H one B and stuff, that can really get you get fucked. Yeah, up. that that's that's that's, that's a another story. That's a different other story. It can actually throw your ass onto a plane and like. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Assuming you can stay here. Assuming you can stay here in America. Right? Yeah, yeah, that that's totally different. But like, even okay, like let's say you're a lawyer and you know you you get laid off and you can't find a job and you start you decide to start some kind of small you know consulting law firm, you know. You're first. You're definitely going to be able to find clients because everyone needs lawyers all the time. And then maybe one of those clients, you're just like, eh, fuck it. I'll just, I'll just go work for you full time. You know, like that. Like that's a very possible outcome that has happened to a lot of people that, quote unquote, try to start a business, but really they just, you know, they just go back to work somewhere, and it, and everything turns out fine. Yeah, and and there's 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 degrees of it. I mean, you could start your own business from scratch, or you can join. And that, that this is something I found myself in. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, 
which was working for or in conjunction with a company that someone else had recently started and you're kind of getting in on the ground floor. And then you do, you know, you work for them for like better part of a year. And then they're like, oh shit, dude, do you want to come, you know, do you want to come help us develop the business and stuff? And I had this discussion with one of the founders and I was like, not, not really, <laughs> to be honest, but the offer and in another, in another situation, I probably would have gone, I might've gone for it. Yeah. You um, could either do it or not. It doesn't, I mean, whatever. Yeah. yeah. There definitely are options out there. Uh, if, if you come across as someone that has like basic competence and <laughs> yeah, which is, which, which is a rare, honestly, it's a, f- Kind of no, that's thing. that's There's that's like super common. like not common actually. Is well, it well, bar that low? Like for real though? Well, and well, look, it, it's 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 a narrow sample size, right? Because people who aren't already gainfully employed at a, a giant corporation, plus the people who are like kind of, uh, or not plus, but uh, mix, uh, crossed with the people who are like either trying to start a business or are just unemployed for whatever reason, like that intersection is super small because most people are just gainfully employed all the time who are competent. Right. So like, it's not rare that you just, Oh, hire someone for a one-off job. And it's like, Oh, as it turns out, <laughs> they're like really good. It just doesn't, it's just not very often. Most of those people are already running their own businesses, run, running their own consulting firms or, you know, just employed at giant W2 corporations doing like customer work, client work or whatever. Here, here's the thing I've known going, circling back to what Steve was talking about on families and the cost structure. I feel like that's only part of the story, right? Because I don't know. I mean, kids are obviously expensive in their way. Um, but the other, there's another dimension to this, which I found, uh, which is that I feel like families are more much more status conscious than like people like me. <laughs> Meaning like I don't mm. I really don't care uh what I I mean and I'm sure a lot of dads out there don't really care what people think of them personally in terms of like where I am on the socioeconomic hierarchy. I walk right. around looking like a schlub, I don't give a shit. But I I don't with a family, I feel like you don't really want people to think of that way about your family. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. it's one thing yeah. to be a schlubby, schlubby sleeper guy in your own way. Like, you're like, yeah, fuck, I don't care. I got, I, I got resources, man. I don't need your fucking. Yeah, food. I mean, a, a I family, my- a family is more of a like a societal unit, right? Like, single middle aged guy is just it doesn't matter. Like, literally, nobody cares. Yeah, it's about a you. literal like, like, like free agent just yeah. could be anything that variable, but like, yeah, you, you can just walk through life with absolutely no, like, yeah. no, you, you don't have to care about anything really. Yeah. But exactly. yeah, as a family, that's, that's, it's, it's like a, at a higher level socially than <laughs> just a guy. I mean, the thing is, like kids are very, I think very socially aware. Right. Um, so I, I know I, I completely understand this, like this, the, 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 I never thought about it really this way, but like it, it makes sense when you say it. like the 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 fact that having a family, especially if you're in like PMC kind of job, ups the sort of the 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 issue around status. Like, yeah, like kids. I think I I always remember um, an ex like a place I used to work. Okay, and like it was uh, a colleague of mine and his boss their kids went to the same school or something like that. Right. Uh, and they were talking to each other. And I mean, on some level it's because they're a little bit older, they're probably like eight or eight, you know, grade like five or six or something like that. Um, and maybe because they're boys, I don't know. Maybe uh, Then again, girls are very socially conscious too. Um, and they were even just talking. It was like, Oh, our dads work together. Actually, my dad's your dad's boss. Right, oh, it's, it's like that, right? Yeah, they're, so they're, like, they're brutal, man. Kids are brutal, brutal. Yeah, ruthless kids are brutal. Kids. They're ruthless <laughs> little children, right? And like, okay, like another ex colleague of mine, she sends her kids to like this uh, private school, and not even not even one of the, you know, traditional old money private schools here in Toronto, right? But just like kind of a, almost like a like a like a PMC from hard scrabble nothing parents kind of 
private school, right? Like a lot of parents are like de- dentists, doctors, that sort of stuff. Not a lot of old right. people there, right? But even then, like the kids know when it, when it comes to the lineup to to cut like, when it, when the parents are coming to pick up the kids, people know who's got like the fancy cars, right? They're, like rolling up in a Range Rover <laughs> or like a Model X or something. If like somebody else is showing up in their Accord, and it's like. I like an Accord. This is a very nice car, but you know what? At some point, these kids are going to start wondering. And then you have to think about like, how does that affect the kids and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, that's all. I thing. think the standard approach, because I've seen, you know, my nephews have said similar things like where after practice, uh, one of their friends is driving everyone home after practice. And yeah. This one kid got off and they started making fun of him because his house was really small. And they're like, oh, dude, you live in a shitty house, you know? And Jesus. like they, they just that, don't. That's, that's yeah, gonna like, affect your kids, right? Like it's brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. And uh, and it's a joke to them because they don't understand, like you know, yeah, the the, de- the depth of the what depth they're actually of that, saying. Yeah, I think that's true. That's yeah, true. And, 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 and yeah, and I think the standard approach for parents that I've seen is we know better than for you to be the kid who makes fun of someone for having a small house, but. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you're not the kid with the small house. Meaning yes. like, yes, like you're going to protect the downside. You're going right? to protect the downside and, you know, you know, sort of be like, well, don't, you know, obviously, you know, you don't make fun of people because they're poor. You don't make fun of people because their house is smaller than yours. But on the other hand, Oh shit, I don't want you to live in the smallest house. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 hundred percent. hundred percent. There are like, it's almost like in, in uh, PMC yuppie land, like okay, we're 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 in like I guess a fairly nice neighborhood, but it's all public school that we you know we send our kids to public school here, right? And I think yeah. one of the this, one of the reasons why we did that it was like a conscious decision to not involve because I think like private schools they have their benefits, but they also have their problems, right? And I think those problems are are real and significant, and I would argue uh, more potentially more significant than like the gap between any potential education quality and yada you know whatever. Um, but there's almost like a minimum standard of material goods that you have to provide for them, right. To make sure that they don't get made fun of, right. Like you cannot drive, you cannot show up in like a ratty car, right. Like I remember, like, you know, I grew up in, in some like shitty small town in, in, in Ontario, but I remember, um, growing up, like we, we didn't have very much money or really any money. Uh, my parents were always like doing businesses and stuff like that, right? Uh, but uh, one of the businesses my parents did, they would import like granite countertops, like custom made granite countertops from China, and try and like sell them here on custom order. It was a terrible business because like they the the in the shipping process they would always get cracked. Yeah, right? like it's, it's awful. It's freaking awful. But anyways, but they had we had our green minivan, our family green minivan, and there was like a sign of the company name that they had to put on the minivan. Right. And it's just like, you're getting picked up in that thing and everybody's looking at you. And it's like, what the hell is like so-and-so stone company. Right. <laughs> and it's like green ass. It, like it wasn't a private school. It was just like a, it was just like a public school in, in some dipshit Northern Ontario city. But it, it, like it, it like, you know, 30 years later, 20 years later, I still remember that shit. Why? Right. It's because it has an effect. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah I, you know, it, it's interesting because, like, the transition that I felt in over the past several years, and I would say, like, uh, I felt this way, like, when I first got married, uh, this is my this is my ex-wife, um, I was very much on the path towards, like, yeah, you know, this is going to be, you know, we're, we're going to, like, you know, we're going to do the yuppie Asian couple in New York city thing. And then we're going to have kids and then we're going to move to some, you know, whatever we're just going to, it's the path, you know? Yeah. And the difference between my thinking then where I had a very, like, I'm going to have a family with, you know, this till now is I'm having a little bit of clarity on this right now is like, I moved from a, a mentality of like relative prosperity to much more like absolute, concepts of it where i don't care whether the thing says stone you know such and such stone company on the side so long as the damn thing runs Mm. and i don't you know like how do i put this like um i could just be super like concrete and material about uh 
my like about my life mm. and I don't have to worry about bullshit relative concepts of wealth as in like do I appear wealthy do I appear like I'm doing well do I appear like I'm part of the club part of the social stratum upon which I want my family to slot into for fear of them being demeaned or looked down upon because I don't care. Like I said, I just don't care <laughs> how I'm perceived. Cause I'm, I don't think I'm even perceived. And I wonder like, you know, is it really just like those few moments at school when you go to pick your kid up that really matter? Is it, is it just those little moments where, you know, everyone whips out their financial dick and <laughs> you know those little locker room moments you know i don't know sorry I, I may not have articulated that really well but it definitely is a, a, well, a, a I, very you, like yeah sorry go ahead i'll give you guys i'll give you guys uh, an interesting anecdote just from my my own upbringing um my parents did the straight by the book get a graduate degree go to work for a big corp um buy a house in the suburbs and then send your kids to a good public school kind of thing. And I don't recall ever having any of those kind of feelings until I, until I really got to college. And when I got to college, I, I kind of like found out that, Oh, there's like actual rich people <laughs> like in this yeah. world. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm I think that, that only happened. That only happened once in high school when I went to uh, like, we had chemistry class and like, I went over to um, my my chemistry partner lab partner's house one night to like finish a project or whatever, and it turns out that his dad was like my dad's boss's boss. <laughs> right? Not even your dad. Yeah, he was. He was like like, like senior executive VP at the company that my parents worked at, and and my my parents were not like in no like you cannot describe them as poor in any way. Like they had a dual. STEM income from very early on who lived in a nice house and blah, blah, blah. Right. But then I got to this kid's house and it was just like a fucking mansion at the top of a hill. And it was like the, the garage was like full of exotic cars. I was just like, Oh Jesus Christ. You know, like I had no idea. So that was the only one time in high school that I like came across that kind of thing. But then when I got to college, um, like a lot of my, I'm from SoCal. A lot of my friends that I became friends with in college, are from NorCal and they had like, they had similar upbringings. Like their parents went to the same caliber of schools and all that stuff. And they worked for the same caliber of company, but like just the Bay area wealth generation machine was like 10 times as strong as the one in, uh, from where I'm from. Because so of the Silicon I, Valley. Yeah. So because of the Silicon Valley, uh, wealth. Yeah. Yeah. Like my, my parents worked machine. in, yeah, like my parents worked in biotech in SoCal, and that was fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's yeah. plenty of money in that. That's but, like DC, the DC area that I grew up in. Yeah. You know, it's like an affluent area. There's a lot of people who work in defense, biotech, or whatever. But it does again. It it just pales yeah, it's in comparison not like the, to what the, was going on in Silicon Valley. But Silicon yeah. Valley, like the historical, the historically greatest wealth generation machine in in like ever, ever. ever, ever, ever. Okay? <laughs> yeah. So that's what you're yeah. comparing against now. Right. Yeah. That's the bar <laughs> or whatever, but it's like <laughs> such a stupid bar. It's like so exceptional in every single way. Like, yeah, it's, it, well, I mean, that, that goes back to teen, your point about the relative versus the absolute, right? Cause you know, on an absolute basis, there was absolutely, there, there was nothing wrong with being raised in SoCal with parents and with two parents in biotech. Yeah. yeah I mean, never that's, like top, that's top like 0.1% in the world, right? Yeah, yeah, but, part, yeah, but, but I, that's part of the problem with like middle it. class America is that you, you know you don't need to think about absolute terms because it's all taken care of. None of us had to contend yeah, with yeah, any any form of poverty. That's true. that's true. None of us had to struggle. I mean, I've met people, you know, like my wife grew up much poorer than I have, and so like our value system sort of is is led by her more, and I I enjoy this a lot more where we can just see things for what they are rather than constantly measuring like appraising stuff and trying to get like mark to markets, you know, validation <laughs> on everything. Like, you know, it's, there is a, there is a sort of like accounting that's going on with people's lives where uh, everything needs to be marked to some market value. And a lot of that wealth is the, a lot of the conceptions of wealth to me 
seem to be market-based driven valuations, you know, and it's like, how wealthy do I feel based on how like my lifestyle is appraised versus just like, okay, look, I got enough money that I don't need to fucking work. That's how, that's like how I think about it now is like, how, how much money do I need so that I don't have to get out of bed every day and march to some job that I don't really want to do. <laughs> and that's yeah, pretty like, much how I think see about these it. people who are yeah. judging you. Yeah, you. Uh, I mean, I don't even that. think they're judging me. That's the thing. Like, I'm oh, not. It's not even okay. like I don't care. I, I kind of no, am able to we, see we, that they're not judging me because they no, don't no, even yeah, see yeah. me. We, we we judge ourselves way harder than yeah, and, like, nobody, nobody cares about you, right? Nobody like, cares about true. you. They, you might, they might see you for like five seconds and have a thought. They will never think about you ever again, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. in their life. Yes, right. That's my point. Is like, is is all that anxiety, that class anxiety, really boiling down to like? those little tiny moments that make up a tiny fraction of our lives, but kind of like the anxiety that people have walking around naked in a gym locker room, because you know, how often are you naked around a bunch of other dudes with your dick out? Like never, but it's that like (laughs) those two minutes, you know, like dudes freak out. And so they're, you know, they're just like finding all sorts of ways to like pump the dick, you know, like trying to get it to look bigger, (laughs) you know, that kind of shit, you know, for what, for that, for the two minutes and nobody's looking at your dick, dude. Like nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's just sort of like, you know, this, it's, it's that fear of like revealing, you know, like yourself, you know, am I actually not really that wealthy or am I actually really not that high class or do I not stack up to these other people? And I'm not sure anybody cares, but then, you know, who cares is the fucking children. The, the, the children See, are the ones. Yeah. Who like, I, I think that's the, okay. Let me, let me ask you this. Okay. Um, uh, would you if assume you had kids imagine you had kids sure i right? imagine that all the time yeah yeah and uh, would you would you and you know you're you're in a fairly high income job and you know a law firm in new york whatever blah 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 would you pick up your kids from their daycare or private school or whatever in a 12 year old honda crv great car by the way i have a 12 year old honda crv i believe <laughs> i i believe i would would you not I'm, I'm... feel some measure of no Mm, no, really? I don't think so. But but see, but then again, this is hypothetical. Because because the the I can't imagine the empathy that I would feel and the fear that I would fear a feel fear that I would feel if I knew, for example, that my kid was being made fun of because his father showed up in a twelve year old CRV and that's not what people do at this school. Then I would feel guilty, yes. Yeah, there's a guilt component to it. It's it's not that it's not that you necessarily care about what other people think. It's that you feel guilty that you're not doing everything you can to well, like you avoid. Put the, you, you well, feel, and then, yeah, and then I would feel like for putting the kid through that, right? Like yeah, this kind of very specific psychological trauma. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then I would feel maybe emasculated because my own kid thinks that I can't, I cannot put up. The way that other fathers do. How come that yeah, other father it's... shows up in a fucking Land Cruiser and you show up in a fucking CRV? Yeah. It, and it's it's interesting, right? Like you could do all the like you could send your kid to Asia first class every year, and you know, or whatever. And even if your home is really really nice, and but nobody sees that, right? So it's like, and it's not this is not just cars, but like you know where you go out to eat and all this stuff, right? So it's. Yeah, it's very, very complicated. I, no, I don't. I mean, we grew up like I grew up. My dad was an embarrassment. I mean, he showed up in his fourteen-year-old <laughs> Chevrolet celebrity when everyone else had like a no- normal German or Japanese car. He shows up in this fucking embarrassing Econo box. But well, no, he was he was it was humiliating, you know. Uh, and I didn't give a shit because. You know, he would he would just he because he was very I think he was more open about he was like, no, I I don't do this because I don't care. I do this because I care. I want you to see. He was like, I want them to see our shitty car. (laughs) Okay, so he he came at it from the other direction. Yeah, he was like actively trying to undermine my shit. And he was like, and you're going to deal with it because because you I don't I'm not going to raise a kid who's like, you know, too, this too bitch that, that wants daddy that. to yeah, show up yeah, in yeah, his yeah. luxury car so people think he's cool. Right. Fuck you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean there's there's something to be said for that as well, right? Like, he, he, like the kids do need some uh, he, uh, there's that too. There's that. Too. He ended up on look man, he just somehow ended up on the wrong side of some line and ended up on like an island. 
But anyway, deep, deep state uh, communist, <laughs> the CIA of all places. Yeah, yeah, deep state. yeah, yeah. yeah that's a that's a deep. I guarantee you know vote. what? I guarantee you, you will find more commies and shit in the CIA than you will in a corporation. <laughs> yeah, probably. It, it, it just attracts weirdos. But anyway, it's a going. government job, man. Um, yeah. Or is it? Where is it going? But but yeah, like yeah, I don't know. There there is some balance there to like having the kids try to know what the world what the distribution of the world actually is right because you know i like i feel like the i feel like i you know like like you might like, um i didn't really encounter like hey these people are rich until university right yeah not, i like I, I went to kind of like a normally like a normal school here in, in i think it's pretty Canada. common for that yeah, yeah 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 like um but at the same time like on the on the flip side like the kids going to private schools here i think like have no idea what the world is like right like you know parents are planning trips to like freaking to go skiing in the alps over christmas with the kids right, right? with their private school kids right? like it's, it's kind of shit's not normal yeah i mean my friends are all like for some reason going on expensive ski vacations is like all the rage right now and they're dropping like five figures for these family vacations to go skiing I mean, for like five days and it's kind of always been that way, man. Like skiing is a yeah. huge Skiing's expensive. status marker, man. Like yeah. no, I meant among Asians, I guess. It wasn't oh, oh, okay. it yeah, you know. Like, oh, I mean, like how about cheap ski vacations? That too? I mean, they'll go cheap skiing just to get ready for the big the big event, which the is like, game. you know, going to to Park City or to Whistler or to to fucking Well, it's France, it's funny. French Alps. It's, it's funny. Some fucking go to Japan to go skiing. What the fuck? Skiing? Yeah. Well, I mean, just just like um, so. My my family actually has uh, my, my dad is a huge skier, and um, we used to live in. For he went to school at University of Utah. Oh shit! My dad in, went to Utah State. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. He's, yeah, so, he's so a so Utah we, plebe. Your dad's like the Utah. The, media. Uh, the Utah <laughs> elite. You is the royalty there. I don't know. The elite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is yeah. the royalty? Um, but but that's all that stuff is right next to like some of the greatest skiing on earth, right? Like Brighton, Alton, uh, Alta, Snowbird, all that stuff. Dude, those places used to be cheap. Like you could just get onto a city bus, go up there and pay like $25 to ski all day long. <laughs> that is not the but case. That's not happening like anymore, man. Bucks yeah. For lift ticket. Yeah. And then, you know, like we, we moved to SoCal and we used to go to like Mammoth and, you know, we used to take trips to Tahoe. And dude, that shit used to be cheap. It, it's so bizarre now that it's like thousands of dollars to take a family skiing. It's all, it's at, all Veblen goods shit. I mean, yeah, it's it, kind of like, weird. Like, do you remember just a few years ago? Like, every single one of my friends was like plopping down, you know, money to get on the wait list for a Model Three Tesla, and then everyone, <laughs> you know, and then my my whole fucking friend circle became a Model Three owners club. Jesus, and the, and then you know, they some some sold it or some you know got, got off lease or whatever. And I got some friends who are still in the market for an EV, and I'm like, "Hey, have you guys thought about actually buying a Tesla now? Because the price is dropping like a stone, right?" Yeah. And they're like, yeah. "Fuck, I don't want that. No, it's it's over. Tesla's What's the new over. Thing? I'm it's like, over. it's the same car. What's it's literally the same car. It's literally yeah. dropped twelve thousand bucks. <laughs> like the Model Y is like twelve thousand dollars cheaper today than it was three weeks ago. Have you thought about buying one? Yeah. They're like, "Fuck no." And I'm like, "The reason you're Porsche. saying no is because the price dropped. You don't. You're like, it's gross now. Do you think that's really it? Yeah, I do." Really? It's not just the price, but it's all of like the social. It's I mean, clearly nothing changed with the car. Nothing changed with yeah, the quality, okay. or quality of the car. It's still what it yeah, is. Yeah, okay. It's just dropped okay. in value okay. in part because you know the brand has taken a hit, and also it's just kind of saturated. There's just too many of them, so they're not special dude, anymore. There's so it's many around obvious. LA. You've it's got ridiculous. you've got Model Ys driving around the city that have the Revel sticker on it, meaning like these are rental cars. You know, like the, uh, it's kind of like a zip car. Zip car has Teslas basically. Now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And then once you see that, it's fucking over. I even see Tesla. Uh, they, they even have Ubers that are Teslas. And so now it's kind of like, yeah, bro, over. It's the same fucking car. I thought you bought it because it was like friendly for the environment and stuff. And they're like, yeah. no <laughs> gas for me, bro. I'm going to save it, so much money on gas, bro. What, and I'm so like, okay, not only you save money on gas now, but the, it's 12000 cheaper. Well, there's like, there's yeah, also this thing. There's also this thing right now where like the uh, the realities of lithium and cobalt mining are like coming to the surface, and it's like yeah. basically just African slave labor, and it's like this the whole famously, thing is taken on. Oh, yeah, the but they don't care about that. Uh, they want a Rivian now. 
A Rivian. Oh, they, oh, they want the oh, they, they want the other thing. They the yeah, thing. they want the other EV now. They're like, oh, yo, got it, got it. Nah, this is I just put disgusting. my money. Yeah, no, they like I have friends who put the who put money down for a Rivian, and I'm like, dude, that company like, doesn't like, exist in a. This is disgusting to me. Like what? Just the, like, the whole like this, competitive this, like, spending thing. Well, I mean, this, <laughs> even even this like, oh, Tesla's passe now. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna go buy a Rivian. I'm like, oh my god, these people. It is it is rampant. It's rampant, dude. At least in my experience, yeah, uh, I mean, and I just don't get it because yeah. I'm like, and I guess the, here's the here's the thing. Ultimately, is like my my fear of like family life is the is the is that Veblen type pressure, mm. and the it, it's so funny because like I feel like the stereotype was like you know the frumpy penny pinching parents versus the like happy go lucky sports car driving single people. <laughs> and it's totally not that. Yeah. It's the families that are like, dude, like just maxing out on yeah. you know, like the yeah. new Toyota Sequoia or whatever. Yeah. Uh or whatever the new 80- SUV, the Range Rover or whatever the fuck. And it's all the single people who are like, yeah, I ride the bus. I, I ride the bike. Yeah, and, and by the way, for, for people listening who don't know what a Veblen good is, it's basically something whose demand goes up with the price. So the more expensive it is, it is the more people want it. <laughs> the complete opposite of like a typical commodity demand. Yeah, like yeah, the, the, yeah. Yep. No, okay, so I, I, as somebody who is at least theoretically described by this, um, uh, the, these factors here, I don't, maybe it's maybe it's because like I'm in Toronto and not in in, in California or whatever. But it's, it's not that bad, at least where I am. It's not that bad. But there is like a there is a certain degree, like um you know back to like my my my, my private school ex colleague said texted me once and she said, oh uh where did you send your kids for summer camp? And I was like oh here and here and here and and the first thing she asked was. So is that like a mid-range summer camp for kids? Like, what, what do you mean range <laughs> summer camp for kids, right? Like what? what like I, I don't understand the question. And then she then she just like, kept the uh, conversation kept going. She said, "Oh, uh, I have a friend here who's sending her um, her child. Don't know if it was a son or daughter. I can't remember uh, to equestrian school." And then yeah, like Jesus. as soon as like, that text came, I was like, "What the fuck?" Like I I just like that. What the fuck is this? And I literally replied, "Let me guess." They drive a Tesla, and she replied, "Yes, a white Tesla Model 3. <laughs> <laughs> it was exact. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, the the interesting thing about California is, um, I think New York is kind of this the same way as the middle class is just getting squeezed out of existence. The shit just doesn't. It's just what, not going to even exist is middle class now. I mean, I think there's so many different conceptions of it. But like, I mean, I what think, is middle class? I mean, like, I just look at my parents when they were growing up. They both had decent jobs. They both worked. And they bought their house for, dude, like 300K, something like that. What year? And, you know, this was back in 80s, 90s? 89, 91, something like that. Just bit, like right this on the This is exactly my parents. My parents yeah, bought their so, house for like 250K in 1987. Yeah. Still so live there. Like this shit just doesn't exist in California anymore, right? And it, it, it's not like 300k was dirt cheap or anything. It's you know it's 1990 money, so it's maybe yeah, it was probably like a like a that solid was considered money. yeah that was considered an expensive money. house back then. Yeah, probably 500 so. 600k in in today's money, oh, which more, is like I think you know, more than that. I think you're north of one in today's money. Uh, no, but huh. but the but the real estate has gone up disproportionately. Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. As a yeah. proportion yeah. of income, even it's just gone like up, CPI, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, as, yeah. as as like cash dollar to dollar. No, there cash, was double was, double digit interest rates back then. Yeah, and they yeah. refinanced a bunch of times. So yeah. look, I'm not exactly sure how the economics of what proportion of the income and what, but all I know is like, you know, a young family could have bought a house at a reasonable price. Uh, that just shit just doesn't exist here anymore. Like I looked at the housing prices in the town that I grew up in and everything's over a million bucks. It's, it's yeah. crazy. Right. And it's like, you know, young, young couple, like the company that my parents worked for, they started opening up offices in different parts of the country because nobody could afford a fucking house <laughs> like in the, t- in the town that they were headquartered in. So, you know, companies have had to like adjust the way that they operate, um, they, you know, just based on 
like where people are moving and middle class is definitely moving. Up. I mean, basically California is becoming like a feudal society, right? Like it's kind of crazy. The people who own houses here probably own more than one mm-hmm. and everyone out, everyone else is just kind of locked out unless you just have a super high income and can just mm, million dollar mortgage. No problem. You know? Yeah, I mean, New York City is a place where you regularly see people renting. Like, I have friends that pay eight thousand in rent, and more or less yeah, earn what I earn. That's it, fucking wild. Is, is that because they can't scrape? Like, they don't want to buy, or they can't buy, or what? I don't. Like, I'm not sure, but they, you know, part of it is like, yeah, they're renting the eight thousand dollar rent that I'm thinking of is someone who lives in a in a brownstone in Park Slope. Where you're probably north of three million at this point to buy, right. if you can find something for sale. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the it, it's not a matter of like, can you, have, you know, I mean, to buy something like that is just so ridiculous right now. Um, you know, you're gonna have to want to rent if you want that lifestyle. You can rent that lifestyle. It's hard to own that lifestyle right now. Are these people who are gonna be like? they're going to be New Yorkers forever, right? Like it's not about, they might want to move out of the city or something like that. Right. As far as I know, no, I mean, because it's just, they're tied to the city. I mean, like they're, you know, also the the, the wall street. Yeah. The financial incentives become really warped, right? Because, okay, let's say you do have 3 million bucks um, to spend on a house. What's better spend $3 million on a house and live there and just eat the cost or rent it out and make $8,000 a month in rent. Yeah. Like, that's obvious. Like, like it doesn't take a fucking financial genius to know that it's much better to like own. You know, if you have the means to own a house in New York or LA or you know some high cost of living area and collect checks all day and like live somewhere else, that's probably just as nice. But you're not because you already own real estate in New York. You don't give a shit about the New York lifestyle. You're like whatever. You know, I'm either so rich that I live here anyways, or. I live somewhere else and I just have this property in New York or California that's like I mean, printing get, getting money. getting back to the uh the idea of opting out, right? Like if your work allows you to be that mobile, then that's the play. Yeah, for sure. That's another part right. of it. Yeah. I mean, I thought about it. I've thought about buying a place in Manhattan. I don't want live I don't want to live in Manhattan. Yeah. Right. I've exactly. thought about I've talked to my wife about like, hey, why don't we buy a place in Manhattan? Just fucking rent it out. The answer is that you get you get kind of fucked on like maintenance. You are running a business. It's not, it's not yeah. free money, but, yeah, but it work. is work, but, but it is an income. It is like, I can see why people do money. it. I, I, yeah, yeah, I, sure. when I think about the, uh, when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, maybe not. It's not like a, it's not a home run, but no. I would, I would much rather consider that than buying a place in Manhattan to actually go live yeah. in it. I'm like, it yields money. Like, and yeah. it's not that much work. It's a decent amount of work, but, for me, it's more it's a it's lot more of the work if you have a bad of tenant, like tax and right? stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it's terrible if you have a bad tenant. Yeah, right? exactly. Like so I don't know how. Very... To, yeah, you have to be ready for that. Like I don't know how the laws are down where you guys are, but in in Ontario, laws are very, very, very tenant friendly, which is the one yeah. thing that like. Yeah, m- m- most I'm big cities like, are like that. that. You, I mean, you just have to be super judicious when you're renting it out. Like yeah. you have to be on the ball. Like dig deep into their into their credit and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think like, um, uh, what's the, what's the overall like lesson here? I don't know. I think for me, it's like, you just, there, there seems to be two modes of thinking about wealth. And one is of, it's like, it's, it's like the difference between like value investing and like, you know, momentum investing or whatever you want to call it. You know, where like I feel like value investing is like I was talking to someone about this today. It's like or I was actually talking to you guys, too, about this. It's like there are those who make a shitload of money by sort of like YOLO investing and like, you know, just kind of going in hard on like on trends and momentum and stuff. And then there are those who are like, yeah, I'm just I don't participate in this. I'm going to park my shit in like, you know low risk assets and just sort of like, you know, look for unspectacular returns and just save and work. But I feel like the people who get fucked are the ones who are like sort of conservative at at the beginning and they get tempted over to the other side. But they're always they're always the late adopters, so they're the bag holders. 
And so I feel like for those who are more like conservative and value driven, the danger is to like lose faith in like fundamental value. And I'm not just talking about financial assets. I'm also just talking about like your approach to life and like what you need in life versus what you want uh, to show off. And the people who get pulled off sides are the ones who are like get screwed. I think the people right. who are just like very comfortable with bubbly, uh, you know, relative driven notions of value and wealth are going to do well because they end up being the great salesmen. They're, they're the ones that like <laughs> inflate the bubble. They're, they're, well, they're, they, yeah, they, they, they play to their own strengths, right? Which yeah, is what exactly as, as an investor or even just a worker, um, you have to play to your strengths. You can't like be tempted to, to like not know who you are and just do some wild shit out of the blue. Cause that, that's generally what fucks people over. Right. Like, like the, you know, the, the slow and steady real estate investor who like, uh, FOMO's into the housing market and just, is just, yeah. Caught holding the bag for hundreds of thousands of dollars when the market goes sideways or down. Yeah. That's, that's not a good spot to be in. Yeah, I mean, you've really got to have stones there because it's like, if you think about it, I mean, um, the if you just look at the 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 like, I don't want to start talking about Fed policy and shit, but like, <laughs> just, just like what's encouraged in the U.S., which is to like maximize leverage, borrow as much money as possible, and ride the wave of home and stock appreciation. appreciation. Yeah, right. You yeah. know, which and is very culturally American. It's very, very culturally very American and it destroys it really for someone like me who is risk averse, you know, it's very, it's anxiety provoking to think like, I'm never going to get ahead unless I jump into this risk taking game, this, this, you know, and I, I don't want to. And then, you know what? I decided I'm not going to fucking do it. I'm just not going to take the bait. I'm just going to continue, you know, just working and saving and looking for unspectacular investments and then now I see things falling apart and, uh, you know, a little bit on the margins. I wouldn't say they're really collapsing or anything, no, but I'm looking no. at it and I'm like, you know, who got fucked are the ones who jumped in, uh, in the past few years, looking at these incredible like verticals and stuff going like, Oh shit. Now's the time. I'm like now is not FOMO. the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. The, when, when the shit has gone vertical, it's already too late. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, so yeah, so interestingly, <clears throat> speaking uh, to the opt-in versus opt-out discussion, um, <clears throat> so it's been about, yeah, about a year and a few months since I sold my business and I haven't worked since then. Um, I don't think I will ever work a high-paying job ever again. Just And, and it's not because I'm set for life, because I'm definitely not. I'm set for a, a while, but not... My my outcome was not some some crazy outcome. I think we said at some point you you didn't you don't have fuck you money you have fuck off for now money. Yeah, fuck fuck off for now. <laughs> I might I might call you back later. Fuck though. off temporarily. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll be back. Yeah. So <laughs> so like, but but I don't think I think I'm in a spot personally just just talking about me where I don't think I'll ever work a super high stress high paying job ever again. But I do want to go back to work at some point, possibly as W2, um, where it's just like much more of a chill experience in the sense that I'm not fighting deadlines all the time. I'm not fighting with customers all the time. I'm not like fighting with my boss and management all the time, which is shit that I had to do nonstop for the last 15 years. So I think my my personal opt-in, opt-out is like some, something in like a, of, a, of a middle ground. Or yes, I will go back to work at some point and, you know, I'll probably keep the nice things that I already have, but I will not, I'm not, I'm just not going to be that striving dude anymore because I also turned 40 this year and honestly, I just don't think my body can handle it. You know, like there's that aspect of it too, where you just physically don't want to deal with that kind of shit and people who do, uh, who deal with that kind of stress and you know whatever it takes to make that high level of income, their bodies just you just die earlier. 
you know, like 10 yeah, years Yeah, I mean, the stress, the stress hormones are real, man. Like I got, yeah, for real. I, had, I was telling you, I had friends who, you know, worked out at a places like Sat Capital and stuff where they're just like, dude, I ruined my body. And yeah. uh, they, uh, you know, they, they, they went on sabbatical. I mean, they eventually went back to work because they have to, but they yeah. took like years sabbatical just being like, dude, like going around the world, literally looking for like, like alternative medicines to like heal their body of whatever the fuck happened. <laughs> nobody, they, like they can't what, even diagnose what, what happened. What, they were just like, like what, I just happened? fucked it up, man. I don't what know happened? what's wrong with me. Was this stress? Dude, well, uh, well, like I've, I've mentioned this before. I had my hip replaced at age 35. Because it was just incredible amounts of stress. You think it was um, stress related that that happened? Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. You didn't, you didn't like fall or something? No, it's dude. It just like what? But, but. I had no. It was just idiopathic, which is what the doctors call it, which means we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> idiopathic means yeah. who the fuck knows? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. That's so, crazy, like, what? Man. What in? What else? Like, none of my family history has any kind of indication that i would come down with something like this my my fucking joint just gave up right this ain't the first i heard of that man i have definitely heard this from people who worked at hot super high pressure buy side firms that ruined their fucking health not just it's not just like deadlines and stuff it's like i was on call for basically 10 years in a row so i could not go to sleep knowing that i would wake up in the morning like more likely than not over the course of a week I would get some fucking phone call at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. and I would just have to deal with some shit. Like it's, it's, it's like, so that, that doesn't map exactly onto the financial world, but I understand, I understand exactly what it, it's like to work an insanely high stress, high pressure job where not only do you have to deliver, you have to deliver every single fucking time, perfect on deadline and sometimes in the middle of the night. And that shit just killed me. So that's part of the reason random uncertainty of like a crisis could occur at any moment at any moment yeah and like it's it's just insane right you know it's an insane way to live i gotta think like as we because i think i'm older than both of you by like a fucking country mile and uh by 10 percent at least yeah 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 (laughs) it all plays together i i i'm forging into middle age you know like i that i'm pioneering this uh uh, this journey into middle age. And I would say that the realities of like mortality and your health and stuff become like much more front and center as you get older. Yeah. And so these rel- these like childish games of like relative status and stuff just don't matter because you're like, dude, am I going to die? You know, <laughs> like, am I okay? My body's got problems. I got to go take care of it, you know? Um, and then you, and then you get, you just deal in shit. Like I told you about my colonoscopy journey. <laughs> Holy shit, man! Oh wait, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't actually hear yeah, this. How, this how, how, is, how is the colon? How is so the now colon? that we're at an hour and seven, we're in the bonus stage. So <laughs> this will be, be the transition from the free episode to the bonus. Right? If you, you want to hear colon. about teens' colonoscopy, if you want to hear about my colonoscopy, join the Patreon. And um... <laughs> this is the end of part one of this week's podcast. Part two is available to our Patreon supporters through our patron-only feed. Mm-hmm.